Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. On this a Thursday morning, September 14, 2023, it is actually the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, a beautiful feast day. And if you have the Magnificat, which I try to read every single day, do the morning prayer and also the readings, has a beautiful summary before the readings this morning. The Exaltation of the Cross proclaims that the event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything toward life. And that's directly from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1085. We exalt Christ's cross whenever we freely take up our own cross, filled with the certainty that the ultimate meaning and fulfillment we crave in life comes to us through the cross. With the cross, we are freed from the restraint of the enemy, and we clutch to the strength of salvation. For salvation means that death itself has died, and that we have been freed from sin. And St. Catherine of Siena says, We cannot produce or give any other fruit but the fruit we have taken from the tree of life. No wonder that the sign of the cross makes kings of all those reborn in Christ. And that last part is from St. Leo the Great. So several wonderful saints quoted in talking about this feast day, the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So hope your Thursday is going well for you so far uh, on this feast day, the exaltation of the Holy Cross. We have a great show lined up for you this morning. And actually, I think you're going to enjoy it because when you're talking about taking up a cross, sometimes that means helping others with their cross as well, or it should, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why the first interview that we have coming up, uh, this is someone that I interviewed for my uh, local hour, because he's actually based in Michigan, but this is definitely a national and international story, because it's all about the National Association of Catholic Chaplains. And I don't know if a lot of people even think about chaplaincy as a possible ministry, but there is courses available. There's a way to find out about this uh, in terms of what education is required. It is a beautiful ministry. And so we're going to be talking with the chaplain, Preston Becker, about how he felt the call and what it's like to work with people, to minister to them in difficult times and to help each other carry their crosses. And then we're going to wrap up on a Thursday with Dr. Thomas Williams. He's a moral theologian, author, and speaker based in Rome, also a writer for a number of publications. Recently posting a piece on the conservative site Breitbart about concerns over Pope Francis wanting to end the era of fossil fuels. So the reason I think this is a super important story is because there's so much controversy around alleged climate change. And we did have uh, someone on a few weeks ago talking about this as well, this concern. And Thomas's point, he's done a lot of research on this, is that for some reason the Pope, he believes, is being given some uh, very bad information about the issue of climate change and fossil fuel and how bad fossil fuel is needed, badly it's needed, in the very areas of great concern to the Pope when it comes to, to serving the poor in terms of providing them with what they need uh, to live their lives. So it's an important story. And also I asked him, as a moral theologian, how do we respectfully express concerns about something the Pope maybe has done or is doing? What does that look like? Because we know as Catholics, the Pope is the vicar of Christ, and we respect him, we pray for him, 
Uh, and we listened to him. He's speaking from the chair of Peter, but not always, right? He's not always speaking on faith and morals. Now, when he is speaking from the chair on faith and morals, on a matter of salvation, that's huge. That's something that we have to, have to follow. But we can respectfully disagree and pray for the Pope when there are other issues that do not pertain to our salvation, such as, for example, this issue regarding the environment. And he's very concerned about it, and the church has some great teachings on this. But again, this is something about which we may disagree with the bishops and even with the Holy Father, but we're not talking about dissenting from church teaching here. We're talking about a prudential matter, not a matter of intrinsic evil. So he's going to explain that for us because it can be confusing for people because some people think, well, if the Pope is eating cornflakes or doing this, that, or the other thing, then we have to agree with every single comment or every single statement. That's not the case. But when he is speaking from the chair as a vicar of Christ and salvation, faith, and morals, then yes. But Thomas gives a much better explanation than I can because he is a moral theologian and has a degree in this kind of stuff. So I think it'll be a good conversation. Some very important points that he brought out in the article about some of the misinformation out there about fossil fuels. So that is our program for a Thursday. So the weather is kind of iffy in parts of the country, and this is going to continue through the weekend. We have an approaching cold front producing some heavy showers or strong thunderstorms in the northeast and into the mid-Atlantic, and swells from Major Hurricane Lee are continuing this week to produce some dangerous surf and some life-threatening rip currents along the east coast, and they think that's going to be with us for a couple of days through the weekend, probably through Sunday, and it's going to affect Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, so we'll keep an eye on that for you. Right now, we need to get to the news. It is a Thursday. It is September 14th. Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And let's see what's happening in and around the world on a Thursday. Cardinal Matteo Zuppe traveling to Beijing this week to continue the Vatican's diplomatic efforts to help bring peace in the Ukraine. Catholic News Agency reporting a Vatican spokesman, Matteo Bruni, confirming this week the Cardinal will be in the Chinese capital as the Pope's peace envoy through September 15th. The visit constitutes a further step, they say, in the mission desired by the Pope to support humanitarian initiatives and the search for paths that can lead to a just peace. The Pope also asking the Italian Cardinal to serve as a papal envoy to initiate paths of peace between Russia and Ukraine. An escaped killer, Danilo Calvacante, is back behind bars in Pennsylvania. Reporter Trymaine Lee says many law enforcement groups helped in that capture. Police say there are about 50 officers involved in this apprehension, a combination of state police, but also Border Patrol agents out of El Paso. The governor, Josh Shapiro, said Calvacante was recaptured yesterday morning with no shots being fired. He had been on the run for two weeks after he busted out of prison in Chester County near Philadelphia. The head of the Pennsylvania State Police said they began tracking a heat signal at about 1 a.m. local time yesterday that eventually led to him being located. The Brazilian native was serving a life sentence for the murder of his former girlfriend. And the man who inspired the hit movie Sound of Freedom is on Capitol Hill this week talking to lawmakers about the impact of Joe Biden's immigration policies. Tim Ballard asked by Congressman Mike McCall about the flow of illegal immigration into his home state of Texas. Have you ever seen the death rate higher than it is today of people just trying to get to the border? Never. It's never been this high. And Ballard, who is an anti-sex trafficking activist, says the administration is complicit in the assault of children who are brought across the border. Would you agree that this is probably one of the worst human trafficking events of your lifetime right now? Absolutely. A report from the New York Times finding that migrant children as young as 12 are forced to work illegal as well as dangerous jobs. 
And the San Diego border fence, as John Fink tells us, meanwhile, is again seeing a surge of migrants there. They're coming from Africa, Asia, and Latin America to the space between two border barriers just south of San Diego. Aid workers and volunteers scramble to get food to the hundreds of migrants and their families while they wait for processing by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The numbers are matching the surge in May when the policy blocking legal asylum seekers expired. One volunteer called it an unofficial gathering of the United Nations. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy defending his decision to open an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. An impeachment inquiry is simply empowering the House to a greater level to get the documents they need to answer a question. He told reporters this week the move will give the House the power to access documents needed to determine whether Joe Biden was involved in his son's foreign business dealings while serving as a vice president. The number of Lahaina wildfire victims identified to the public now up to 61. An 85-year-old Lahaina resident was added to the list this week. More than two-thirds of the people identified so far were aged 65 or older. There are 115 confirmed deaths. Long Island and New Jersey Atlantic-facing beaches will be feeling the effects of Hurricane Lee. As a hurricane moves up the east coast, eastern Long Island is expected, as we mentioned in the weather, to have 10 to 13-foot waves today and tomorrow, along with life-threatening rip currents as well as gusty winds. While at the Jersey Shore, waves won't be as high, but 6 to 9-foot crests are forecast. Meantime, impacts start to subside, hopefully, by Sunday. Doctors out with a new warning about eating raw seafood, a nasty bacteria that could be deadly, is apparently on the rise. It's been so hot this summer, ocean water temperatures have increased. This particular organism likes to grow in warm, salty water. That's Dr. Philip Kaiser, who says that's also where oysters grow. He's with the University of Texas Medical Branch, which is investigating the death of a man who ate raw oysters. The bacteria is not just a problem along the Texas coast. It's also flourishing in Florida and Louisiana. Those three states are where most oysters sold in the U.S. come from. Spending on political advertising estimated to reach a record $10.2 billion in next year's election cycle. That's according to new projections from Ad Impact. Local TV stations projected to rake in half that amount, $5.1 billion. And Michael Bohr tells us the U.S. is not the only nation that's holding hearings on UFOs. Mexico's Congress got an up-close look at what some say are actually aliens. A three-hour presentation before Mexico's Congress included boxes containing what Jaime Maussan called non-humans. He's a longtime UFO researcher, so how old does he think these creatures are? Los análisis... He says they're around 1,000 years old. Mexican lawmakers were told the two specimens were found in 2017 in the South American nation of Peru. Examinations done at a Mexican university mouse on, though, has a long track record of debunked alien theories. It is a Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us on EWTN. More great Catholic programming coming up right after these messages, as we say in Radio Land. Stay tuned. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmidt, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmidt's comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. 
Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Catholic Connection. So if you feel a tug on your heart and the Lord asking you to go deeper uh, to maybe work more closely on a one-to-one basis with folks in ministry, have you ever thought about a chaplaincy? Well, Preston Becker is a board-certified chaplain working with Ascension in Michigan, part of the National Association of Catholic Chaplains. And I want to thank my friend Anita Houghton, who sent over this idea, who now works with this wonderful organization, because I think I always like to provide folks with, with different opportunities for witness because sometimes as i said at the top of the hour introducing this topic we may kind of get get stuck and think well the only thing as a woman if i want to get super super serious and dedicate my life to christ that one of the ways we do that which is huge is to have a religious vocation now that is amazing and that may be your calling but there also could be for example chaplaincy and that's why we have preston on the phone with us again preston becker National Association of Catholic Chaplains. So Preston, let's talk about this in terms of your own ministry. How did you discern that this is where you thought God wanted you to be for your ministry? I was first introduced uh, to chaplaincy, actually when I was a patient in a hospital. I was was in high school, and I met a chaplain, and her name was Destiny. Uh, Maybe a bit of a foreshadowing for for me and my own vocational journey. Um, But I kind of forgot all about that. Um, and then when I was in college, I was, I was studying pastoral ministry, uh, trying to discern where God was calling me into um, how, how to use my gifts. And part of that, I was at the University of St. Mary uh, in the Kansas City area, <clears throat> and I did an internship at a hospital in, in downtown Kansas City to shadow the chaplains there. And Teresa, on my first day, we had multiple deaths, and I, I just witnessed these chaplains who were so beautifully, radically present to the patients and their family members in these horrific situa- situations, mm-hmm. almost unbelievable, um, but they were able to be so calm and just so loving. And I, I remember leaving after my first day thinking, oh, I think that's going to be the hardest and the most beautiful thing I could do with my life. Wow. So then that set you on a course of investigating chaplaincy? It did, yeah. So I kind of uh, 
really dove in in that internship when I was an undergrad. And then, um, you know, then after I, I finished my undergrad, I, I worked in the Catholic Church in a few different parishes. And uh, this tug towards hospital chaplaincy was kind of always in the in the back of my, my mind and my heart. And so that led me to pursuing a, a master's degree in theology and then ultimately uh, connecting with the National Association of Catholic Chaplains and being board certified through the NACC. So how long have you been serving as a chaplain? So I have been a chaplain for about six years. Wow. And board certified now for about four, yeah. So what does it mean to have a board certification? Because you hear some folks being a chaplain for this or a chaplain for that, but they're not technically board certified. They're just serving, let's say, in a, minist- in a ministerial capacity, let's say, for an event or for an association. So what's the difference between a board certified chaplain and someone who may be serving temporarily in that capacity? For sure. That's a great question, Teresa. Chaplaincy is kind of, you're kind of at an intersection between ministry healthcare, and then, you know, there are chaplains in other organizations as well, like education or, uh, you know, like the prison system, stuff like that. But really what certification is, is the NACC, amongst a few other organizations, they determine uh, a list of competencies. Um, and I, there's a lot of them. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I think it's 40 competencies maybe to say that uh, a chaplain who we are certifying is competent in each of these areas. And that will range from organizational leadership to um, having a, a foundation, a theological foundation for the care you provide, and sort of a, a basic psychological foundation for the care you're providing and grief support, all that kind of stuff. So really the certification is, is just like other members of the medical team that have to be certified to serve in their roles by different governing bodies. It's just kind of, a, I, I think, a little bit of like a, a gold stamp to say you're, you're certified in, in these areas. So where would one go to, to start that process? Is the best place to go to the website for the National Association of Catholic Chaplains that kind of walks you through that process? It does. It tells you a list of the requirements. Um, and I will also say, on the NACC, under the Contact Us, uh, there are folks who are so eager to help Catholic uh, lay folks or, you know, clergy, anyone who's interested in uh, the journey to chaplaincy. We have, we have folks who mentor people through the mm-hmm. process. So I would say the, the best thing would be to reach out to the NACC and, and let them know that you're interested, discerning, and, and, and we, can, we can help with that. Yes, and the website, it's beautiful, by the way, very simple address, it's just nacc.org, again, nacc.org, and has the information on membership, certification, educational resources, all about the organization, and they also have a list here, which I think is super interesting, of the different uh, types of chaplaincy that you may want to choose. Now, some people, I think, may limit it to only a hospital chaplaincy, but where, where else do chaplains work? Yeah, there are chaplains that work in uh, prisons, in schools. There are corporate chaplains. There, and, you know, and with the kind of the landscape of the world evolving, there's, there's chaplains in kind of the tech world. There's chaplains in a lot of different industries that would, uh, I think, surprise a lot of folks. 
Why did you choose hospital work as opposed to, say, working at a college or even working in, you know, you could do it in the professional world as well, as it says on the website, and as you just mentioned? Teresa, one of the things about my own vocation is I have this urge to be there for the folks at the most sort of vulnerable time in their life. And being a chaplain in a hospital, a lot of that is you're accompanying patients and their loved ones through, you know, receiving diagnoses, receiving um, news that, that they may not have long to live. That's just been a part of my, my own calling. And, I, you know, I have served as a, a chaplain at a, uh, at a Catholic university parish as well, and that's awesome. I love that work. It was, it was very different in terms of the energy that it involved and sort of how that energy was channeled. Like with the with the university work, it was you know kind of community building kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. and ensuring students have support and are staying to, connected to the sacramental life while they're at school, all that kind of stuff. You know, and in the hospital, there's a different weight. There's a different weight where there is still that community building where chaplains also we provide care for staff in the hospitals. It takes such a toll on our oh nurses, yeah, I can imagine doctors. Mm-hmm caring for people day after day who, you know, are, are sick and suffering and have a lot of complicated challenges. So chaplains, that's another interesting thing about our work is we're one of the only disciplines in the hospital that cares for patients, family, and staff. Can you share us another story of something that happened to you in your role as a chaplain? As we wrap up, we have about um, four minutes left that really just kind of got affirmed the ministry in which you're in. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the one of the stories that is coming to mind right now, Teresa, is we had a patient who had COVID, and like you talked about the loneliness, man, the, the patients who had COVID in the hospitals, it was a very lonely time, especially when we had visitor restrictions and all that in place to protect everybody. One of the patients I met, she was such a lovely woman, had a great spirit about her, she had a devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux. Mm. And so while, while she was in the hospital, I, uh, I found a prayer card of St. Therese of Lisieux, and I gave it to her, and she started crying, and she talked about, um, and she was, you know, an elderly patient, and she talked about how her mom also had a devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux. And when she holds this prayer card, when I pray for her, it's like she's holding her mom's hand. There in the hospital. You know, unfortunately, she ended up passing away, and she passed away with the St. Therese of Sioux card in her hand. And um, I eventually met her family, and I told her, her son, about about this, and um, and he gave me the prayer card. So I have it in my in my office as a, as a sign of the just the good work, the sacred work that comes that comes out of my vocation is to be present with people at just such tough times. And I also want to point out that it takes so much vulnerability for patients to invite a chaplain, a stranger, into their journey. And it's so it's such an honor for me in those moments mm-hmm. to be invited in and company patients. I just, that, that's such a powerful story that the son gave you back that prayer card, and now you can look at that. So when you're having a rough day, uh, you must call on St. Therese, right? 
I do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely yeah. incredible. How long did it take you to get your certification? So, you know, um, you got to have a, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And then after, after you have your master's degree, you need what's called clinical pastoral education, which you can do um, there what's called clinical pastoral education centers. Most of them are in hospitals where you need four units of that, which is a clinical residency or internship, which takes about a year. And then after that, you can start working on your board certification materials. And that takes, you know, six months to a year, probably the whole process. Mm -hmm. But this is what you do now for a living. This is your vocation, but it's also your, your job, correct? Yeah, correct. Right, okay. correct. Yeah. And the information about uh, you know income for chaplains because they do get paid uh, is all there on the website. And so beautiful interview with a new friend of ours here at Catholic Connection, Preston Becker, board certified chaplain who works now with Ascension in Michigan and of course also with the National Association of Catholic Chaplains. Thanks, thanks Preston. That was really interesting in terms of the whole process. I don't think a lot of us really knew or know how that happens, and I think it was great. One last question in terms of discernment. If folks feel that there may be a tug on their heart to move in this direction, what would you recommend? I think the first thing I would recommend would be to reach out to the NACC and um, let them know that you're discerning, and I think it'd be helpful to talk more with a chaplain or someone to NACC about how you're discerning that. And I think the NACC would do a good job of connecting you to a chaplain that could help, um, help flush out, you know, maybe find some clarity with that call. Thank you so much. And again, the website is NACC.org for National Association of Catholic Chaplains. And there's some really cool videos regarding what is a chaplain. Also an interview with a woman who was a lawyer and now is a chaplain and someone who worked in sales a gentleman who worked in sales and is now a chaplain. So they give you a real variety in terms of the stories of the folks and their journeys to chaplaincy. Preston, thanks so much. God bless your ministry. And we look forward to having you on again to talk about uh, the work of chaplains around the country. Thanks so much. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does this strange beatitude mean? Well, Father Victor Feltz points out that George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life embodies this beatitude. He has to sacrifice his bucket list items and his dreams in order to save the building and loan company of Bedford Falls. But by the end of the movie, he realizes that he's truly the richest man in town. The Beatitudes challenge our understanding of happiness both as individuals and as a society. They're paradoxical and they upend our priorities. We don't need anyone to tell us that good fortune, money, and success do often make us happy. But we wouldn't have thought that the road to riches in God's kingdom is paved with meekness. It doesn't mean denying your gifts, but it does challenge us to allow others to have the spotlight and to approach them with gentleness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. What is catechesis and why do we care? The job of catechesis is to reveal all the joy as well as the demands of the way of Christ, says the Catholic Catechism. The way of Christ is summed up in the catechesis of the Beatitudes. Jesus gave us the eight Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. The Catholic Catechism tells us this teaching is the only path that leads to the eternal Beatitude, happiness, for which the human heart longs. The catechesis of sin and forgiveness challenges us. Unless man acknowledges that he is a sinner, 
states the Catechism, he cannot know the truth about himself, which is a condition for acting justly, and without the offer of forgiveness, man could not bear the truth. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. been thinking a lot about our gospel message and also the weekend readings, including Saturday morning. Deacon Dom and I were sitting outside in the patio having our coffee and doing our readings. We try to go outside as often as possible because we know seasons change very quickly here in Michigan. Soon it'll be, I hate to say it, but cold. We won't be able to do that anymore for at least not for a couple of months. But how many of us think about the parable of talents, the talents that we find in Matthew 25 tied in with the message of take up your cross and follow me. Let me explain. This was all kind of permeating me in my head and seeping in my head over the weekend and just thinking and and praying about this. So uh, our pastor gave a beautiful homily at the 10 o'clock mass on Sunday, all about obviously the gospel based on take up your cross and follow me, which we heard all about. And he opened the homily talking about kind of a, a, you know, a Christian, Christian joke where man comes to Uh, God and says, you know what, God, I have had it with this cross. I am done. I am over it. I want to pick a new cross. And so God says, okay, well, come here, you know, put your cross down, put it behind one of the doors here, and then just go to another door and pick another cross. So the man looks behind the doors and he finds the smallest cross possible. And he says, I want that one. And God says back to him, hmm, that's interesting. That's the one you just returned to me. And so, of course, the thought behind that is that we often see our crosses as these huge, huge responsibilities or sufferings or challenges, when at the end of the day, maybe God gave us this particular cross or allowed it to happen, not that he doesn't go around zapping people, because it is in many ways going to turn into a gift. And because we are very, I think, frustrated that things may not be going well, whether it's maybe in our personal lives or professional lives, something we were hoping for didn't happen. We want to get rid of a particular cross. When if we embrace it, as opposed to trying to bury it or get rid of it, something wonderful might happen, something beyond our wildest dreams that we never expected. So on Saturday morning, if you recall, we had the parable of the talents in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25. It will be as when a man who was going on a journey called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you have given me two talents. See, I've made two more. His master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, 
I knew you were a demanding person, a harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have gotten it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has more, more will be given and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. All right, so this is pretty strong imagery. And the Lord is not messing around here. When he says we are all given gifts and they come in many shapes and sizes, wrapped differently, some of them even come, in my own personal opinion, as crosses. Are we going to bury them? Or are we going to offer it up, as Rosie would say? Offer it up to God and put it at the, put it at the, put it at the foot of the cross? Are we going to do something with the talents, with the gifts, and even with the crosses? Or are we going to bury them? But the line in this, the verse in, in this chapter in Matthew, which really struck me, is 24 and 25. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. So I always thought when I heard this gospel, why would our Lord describe himself, because master, right, is an image of God. Why is he describing himself as someone who's way too demanding and harvesting where he doesn't plant and gathering where he doesn't scatter? But then it hit me, and because of my own experience and my, my own life, I think for so long, myself, and I know a lot of you agree with this because you've had similar experiences, where we put God in a box. And we saw him as demanding, as unfair, as someone who wanted to take away our fun or our joy or limit us. And so out of fear, we don't embrace the gift and do something with it, or at least try to do something with it. Or we automatically think, as that man who turned in his very small cross, that the cross is too much to bear and that maybe God is going to use this situation for a Romans 8.28 moment all things working together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. If you talk to anyone, brothers and sisters, who's gone through suffering and was able to try to work through that suffering and ask God what they want, they wanted to, God wanted them to learn from that suffering, they will tell you it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, right? And Deacon Dom and I mentioned this during our testimony went through some really, 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 really tough times in our marriage. But because of those tough times, we learned and we grew. And we decided to try, instead of burying what we went through, to share it with other people. And also in my own professional career. At first, I struggled and fought back. No, I have to stay in the secular media. I was back in the church at that time. And we were very active in our faith. After I was fired from Channel 50 and then getting a whole new lease on life, going back to work at Channel 7, but at the same time, I felt God pulling me away from the secular media when I was noticing all the changes and all the things that were going wrong with it. And this, my friends, was over 23 years ago, by the way. Think of it now how bad it is. But I dug in my heels. 
and hung on to that for three years. Kind of like this guy in this gospel. We are given many gifts. Everyone is different. And oftentimes, those gifts come in the way of a cross. And yet when we embrace them, when we accept our gifts and use them as God wants them to be used, his will, not ours, again, those crosses, however little or big they are, turn into gifts from which we can learn, grow, and who knows, maybe have an entirely different life than what we planned. Such as the case with me, I never in a million years expected to be in Catholic radio. Never even knew it existed. So don't be so quick to go to God and say, take this from me. Yes, even Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Father, if it's your will, take this from me. But he also said that he knew he had to do the will of the Father. So the next time you're questioning or struggling, say, okay, God, what can I do with this? What am I supposed to do? Don't bury it. Don't put God in a box. And see what he does with that gift which sometimes comes in the shape of a cross. Welcome back, Catholic Cashin. A beautiful day today in southeastern Michigan. Sunshine and blue skies. On the phone with us from Rome, Dr. Thomas Williams, a noted author and speaker, theologian, writes a lot of great pieces for a variety of publications, including Breitbart. And interestingly enough, I saw Dr. Williams' piece on the uh, political, not political science, but excuse me, uh, climate change. And this is a few days after I had just interviewed one of the scientists who signed on to this letter that was released. 1,600 scientists and experts signing this letter, talking about problems with the current climate change approach and how it's all based on junk science and not reality. It's politics. It's emotion. And two Nobel Prize winners were among those who signed it. And then I see Thomas's piece, Pope Francis doubling down on his personal war on fossil fuels while condemning extreme practices, in quotes, such as fracking. So, Thomas, uh, this is, is frustrating for a lot of us. And again, I just did a really uh, in-depth interview the other day on my program with, I think it's, his name is Stephen Malloy. He's from JunkScience.com. He's on Fox News quite a bit. You probably know who he is. Talking about the emotion and the politics behind climate change. And 1,600 experts signed this letter, some from the U.S., some from all over uh, the world, many from Europe, saying that this is nonsense, we've gone too far, we're not looking at reality, much like some of the discussions that are coming out now because of covid so what are you specifically writing about in this article in terms of the Pope's latest statement? It's regarding the Feast of Creation today, correct? That is exactly right. Well, I, I'm respectfully, uh, respectfully differing with the Pope on this, on this approach and on the line that he's taken uh, with regard to fossil fuels. I try to make the case that fossil fuels have been almost uniquely the cause of the greatest prosperity the world has ever known. The countries that have actually been lifted out of poverty in the last 150 years have done so largely because of the availability of cheap, affordable, readily uh, available energy, which is fossil fuel. And un- unfortunately, the renewables simply have not been able to even close to meet the needs that the world has. And, and especially if you're reaching out to the poor countries, if you care about those who are underdeveloped, the only way that they are going to get out of that situation, the only way they're going to approach anything like affluence 
is through the availability of fossil fuels. So I think that, unfortunately, the Pope is say we should no longer be investigating, we should no longer be digging, we should no longer be investing in projects to find more fossil fuels. I think he's actually, and, and I think he does it with, with, in good faith, but his end, the, the end result of that would be very negative for the world, especially for the poorest among us. So, again, I respectfully differ with the Pope. Thankfully, as you always mention, Therese, it's not a matter of faith and morals. This is not an area where he has the competence and speaks in the name of, of Jesus Christ, uh, which he does when he talks about, about faith and morals and, and those things that have to do with our salvation, but not when he's talking about how the climate is. I'm just wondering with whom he's speaking, because, again, he always speaks out for the poor and, and expresses concerns to the most vulnerable, especially in third world countries and, and, and desperate situations, and always addressing where there's issues of war and famine, as you just mentioned. But now, the talk about this is really, in some ways, he's going to be hurting the, the, the people that he, he cares so much about. Well, that is true, uh, but that's not what the people around him are saying. He lives in something like uh, a progressive sort of echo chamber. Unfortunately, most of the people that he deals with, most of the leaders that he deals with, he deals a lot with Antonio Guterres of the, of the United Nations, who has gone completely off the rails on this question. And the two kind of build each other up, they enable each other in this rhetoric, which gets further and further away from the reality and actually the science behind the environment and behind uh, the, the change in the climate. So, unfortunately, he's not getting a lot of good advice. And as soon as anyone like your friend Malloy from Junk Science steps right. in and says, no, we need to relook at this, he says, no, no, don't be, don't be deniers, don't be skeptics. You're, this, is a, this is a very dangerous thing. He's really taken that position in such a strong way that he really, I don't think, feels he can back down on it. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Williams, author, speaker, theologian. He is based in Rome, and we're talking about his latest piece for Breitbart, and we'll put a, le a link to it on the Catholic Connection archives. And again, Pope Francis calling on nations to end the era of fossil fuel. That's the title of Thomas's article. So what do we do with this? Because I think it, it, it can be frustrating. We want to obviously always pray for the Vicar of Christ, and, and we don't want to constantly attack our leaders but we have to understand as you just said he's not speaking from the chair here in a matter of faith and morals so we can respectfully disagree with this correct absolutely this this what this should not do uh teresa is hurt our faith what this should not do is in any way lessen our love for the church and for the pope and and our appreciation for the sacraments and for the salvation that we receive through the church. I mean, this is something that has to be absolutely solid. When the Pope speaks about these other questions, which, in my humble opinion, he does a little too often, it's frustrating because we'd rather he spoke about the things that are that are particular to his office as the Vicar of Christ and the successor of St. Peter's. Peter, if he confirmed us in the faith and encouraged us in the living of virtue and urged us to, to embrace uh, a greater love of the Lord, and, you know, those things which he, he does occasionally uh, touch on, but he just spends so much time talking about questions that are, seems to be more political than theological in nature, and that's where I think he gets on thin ice. And, but again, thankfully for us as, as rank-and-file Christians, those are also areas where we can listen and respectfully disagree and say that is his opinion. He is not speaking. Obviously, this is not a question of our salvation. This is not something tied to the message of the gospel, except insofar as we are called to be stewards of creation. Right? But in terms of his analysis of what is actually happening, 
He's not a meteorologist. He's not a climate scientist. This is not his area. This is not his turf, if you will. So we are free to respectfully disagree and do so in a very, very, again, uh, respectful manner, including in our tone and in the way we talk about the Holy Father, but at the same time very firm, because otherwise we're actually helping something that in the long run is damaging for society and damaging especially for the poor. Absolutely. So what does the Church teach us, Thomas, about the care for creation? What are we uh, obligated to do as Catholic Christians? Well, it's relatively straightforward, which I find very consoling. Uh, we are obliged to care for creation as God's handprint. This is His work. He gave it to the human race. He gave us all of creation as our garden. This is, if you will, an extension of Eden, the world that we live in. And we are obliged to care for that, to be grateful for it, to preserve it for future generations, um, and to, to treat it as a gift, the gift that it is. We can't trash it, we can't abuse it, we can't, um, you know, just treat it in a way as if, as if it doesn't matter, it does. At the same time, our faith also tells us, our Catholic faith, that human beings are essentially above creation. Creation exists for us. That's why we allow ourselves to eat, and that's why we allow ourselves to uh, even make leather goods and, and things that involve animals and plants and, and all of the different goods of creation, because they are for human beings. That's why they exist. So we do it in a respectful way. We do it in a way that honors the Creator, and at the same time, we do it knowing that all those good things were given to us for our use. This is an important moment, I think, when we hear something like this. And I was just talking about this uh, in my last segment, and in my uh, T's Two Cents segment, I was talking about the beauty of the Blessed Mother and how admiring the Blessed Mother and venerating, of course, and praying and asking for her intercession. We don't worship Mary, we worship God, but that honoring Mary is honoring God because it's his creation. She's his greatest creature, right? The Immaculate, the immaculate Conception. And I think this is the same thing with, with the teachings on creation. We have to know what the Church tells us because... People are, could get confused by this very easily, saying, well, gosh, the Pope said this, so this means I, I have to do this, that, or the other thing. So it's really important to understand the distinction here, to respectfully know, and to respectfully, as you just said, be able to distinguish and say, well, no, he's not speaking from the chair here as a vicar of Christ. This is an opinion. It's a matter of opinion, and we are able to disagree with this because this is not on faith and morals. However, I think what even more confusing, though, is that this is now going to be tied to a second time to an encyclical, because he's doing a follow-up to what's been known as the environmental encyclical, ADOTS-AC, and that's coming up, the follow-up is coming up on the Feast of St. Francis. So I think that sometimes, Thomas, is where people may get confused. Well, wait a minute, it's an encyclical, and aren't we supposed to believe everything that's said in these types of documents? Well, uh, unfortunately, that, that's not the case. Yes, we'd like to be able to just take every single word that comes from the Pope's mouth and just dwell on it and love it and treasure it. Uh, Unfortunately, we're, we're getting some words that, thankfully, again, have nothing to do with our, with our Catholic faith, but that are confusing or, or, or downright mistaken. And, and in those cases, it is, it is more difficult when they're couched in the authority of the magisterium that an encyclical letter usually has. And I think what we need to do there, although, you know, not everyone is expected to be a theologian, so, but the, the fact of the matter is what we can do is look at that document, see what it is that is the moral teaching he is handing down, what is our responsibility, uh, and then kind of separate that from his analysis of all the contingent events that are happening in the world and in the atmosphere, because that is not an area where he, again, is, that is not where he's speaking with authority. That is where he is reflecting what he has heard, he's reflecting what he's read, he's reflecting what other people have told him, but he's not teaching us 
as the vicar of Christ about the climate. That is not that is not his role, as we know, thankfully. Um, and but it, it is confusing. Unfortunately, it, it, it I think it hurts a lot of people because again we want to just embrace every word that comes from his mouth, and yet there are certain topics that he gets on where where that's very difficult. Yeah, I, I just wonder, and, and, and you're closer to this than, than we are because you're in Rome and you're a theologian and you teach in Rome. It, there, it would be helpful if there were other people that had access to the Holy Father because, as I just said, this, this letter, this statement that was signed, and I know you're familiar with it by the 1600 science experts from around the world, including two Nobel Prize winners, were talking about politics and emotion that we're not talking about reality when we're talking about a climate crisis. They said there is no climate emergency. I would think that the Pope, if he knew about this, would be open to hearing from these other folks because these are some pretty prominent people that signed this document. And I, I understand, according to what uh, the junk science uh, uh, Steve Malloy told me, that they did talk with President Joe Biden, these these Nobel Prize winners. Now, obviously, he's not listening, but at least they may maybe had given access to him, had been given access to him. So I'm just wondering if this is possible, because what do we do about this in terms of people do get upset? And I get a lot of emails, and I'm sure you do, too when we see things from the Pope, and they want us to constantly stress the negative, is there anything the actual layperson can do to get these types of things into Rome so the Holy Father might consider some of these different points of view? Well, everyone obviously has the right, the right to uh, write a letter to the Holy Father. We can also do it through our, our local bishops. Um, and that is everyone's prerogative, and I think it's a good thing, so that people also believe and know that they're doing something proactive. Um, and we can also, I think get this out to our local pastors and our local bishops so that they're aware. I, I, the document you were referring to is a fantastic document. It's a fantastic piece of work. And people, mainstream media is only telling us, you know, 97%, there's this 97% consensus about climate change. But if you look at the fine print and you actually look at what the consensus refers to, it's that the climate is changing. And yes, we know that. I believe 97% of scientists uh, believe that. If you were to ask scientific community, how many of you believe that there is a climate emergency in the world? You'd get nothing like that consensus that mm -hmm. everyone talks about when it just has to do with the existence of, of climate change. And I think that's why this document from these scientists is so, so important to highlight the fact that, yes, the climate changes, and the climate has been going up and down since the beginning of time. At the same time, we are not living in a crisis or a climate emergency. That's really the important thing. And yes, we just need to get that. We need to get that to the Holy Father, and he needs to believe it. But I do know some who have tried to bring, like for the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, have brought this message. They've been largely shut down. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a real desire to keep, uh, to, to let there be just one voice, the same way that happened during COVID, as you mentioned earlier. Um, we desperately want a consensus, and so we shut out anyone we consider a dissident voice, a denier, if you will. And that is, that is so unscientific and so really bad for uh, really the, the discussion that we're needing to have. Yeah, absolutely. Do we need any more evidence than we've, than we've had from COVID that keeps coming out? Thomas, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll put a link to this article on the archive at AveMariaRadio.net. Stay tuned. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I said to the churches one day, what do you think you're going to look like in heaven? Oh, some of them had absolutely magnificent ideas. I didn't think of one of them. And so I got desperate because then my turn came. I didn't know what to say. And so in desperation, I said, what do you think I'll wear in heaven? And they all said with one voice, armor. <laughs> EWTN. Live Truth. 
Live Catholic. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilus. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. CMF Curo is the Catholic healthcare option you've been searching for. From concierge service to ethical consultations to partnerships with one of the nation's largest healthcare sharing ministries, CMF Curo offers a pro-life Catholic approach to your overall health and well-being. Find out today if CMF Curo is right for you. Call 833-GET-CURO. That's 833-G-E-T-C-U-R-O. Or visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Tuning in to the EWTN and the Ave Maria Radio Networks. Find us both online, EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. In addition to the archives, you'll find daily at the archives section of AveMariaRadio.net. I always want to encourage you for news and views from a truly Catholic perspective. Please visit our news sources. It's so important to make sure that you are seeing things through the lens, as Al Cresta always says, of Scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church. So how do you do that? Well, my faves, Catholic News Agency, I use them every day, catholicnewsagency.com, the National Catholic Register, ncregister.com. And then, of course, there are great programs here on the EWTN network that help you take a look at the news, again, through a Catholic perspective. You have The World Over with News Director Raymond Arroyo. You have EWTN News Nightly every single night covering all the stories. In the U.S. and around the world, you have In-Depth. It's a relatively new program looking at issues in-depth from the news perspective. So just to keep that in mind, when you see something out there in the news or in the world and you're troubled by it, come to us. We've got the resources. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.